Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Stacey Aldridge is a New York-based dog trainer who specializes in canine behavior problems like aggression, separation anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and fear issues, all big challenges for urban canines and their guardians. She is the CEO of Who's Walking Who Dog Training and has successfully trained thousands of dogs and their guardians for the past 25 years. I worked with Stacy with my first dog, Tiny Tim, and she has been working with my pack for the last few months as we transitioned from one home to another. Stacy is not only a dog trainer, but is also a dog activist who firmly believes that dogs are a privilege, not just a right, and should be treated as such. She is on the board of the Sado Project, an amazing organization dedicated to rescuing abused and abandoned dogs in Puerto Rico. Stacy lectures regularly and has been featured on Good Morning America, the New York Times, Animal Planet, to name a few, and she has some pretty cool celebrity clients and their human guardians. Hi, Stacy, and welcome to Dog Save the People. I'm so thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We've known each other for a long time. A very long time. Yes. <laughs> How long have you been in New York for? I moved here June 1st, 1997. 21 years? That's 21 years, oh my yeah. God. Wow, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, I've been here 30 years. Wow. That's crazy. And we first met through Tiny Tim, yes. through my dog. Yes. You had been recommended. I had knew of you, mm-hmm. but you had been recommended to come help me work with Tiny Tim, who had some issues. I remember that clearly. I remember your apartment. I remember your furniture. I, of course, remember him. And so when I met you, you were training dogs. And then from there, you developed another type of business that was associated. You took over the business in Chelsea. Oh, I started a um, dog daycare. I took what was a dog swim therapy center and turned it into a dog daycare with a pull. Mm -hmm. So after about four years, even though it was doing extraordinarily well emotionally, I just couldn't take it anymore. Right. What was the name of that business? The dog run. Yeah, and I remember that pool so clearly. I mean, it's so random to have a dog swimming pool in the middle of Chelsea in New York City. Yeah, I mean, we had a pool and we had a backyard. It was a lot. It was something, you know, ironically, I always dreamed of having this massive sports center for dogs. I wanted it to be huge, and before I opened the dog run, I was looking at massive spaces, working with investors, all these types of things. That was going to be this huge thing. After having the dog run for four years, I was like, Thank you, God, literally, for not letting me have that. Yes. Because I thought I wanted it, but that's not really what I wanted. The dog run was great, though. I learned a lot. I learned that I don't want to have 20, 18 to 19-year-olds working for mm-hmm. me. But, I mean, it was great. It's a great learning experience. I'll never do it again. Good. I mean, that's a great lesson to learn, and that's the only way to know is to try it. Yeah, absolutely. And didn't you, I want to say you lived upstairs. I did live upstairs, which was this, like, horrible, like, tiny little apartment. And the idea was that I got rid of my other really fabulous apartment, and then moved in here thinking, I'll just live here for a few months to get the business going. But I had to open the doors at 6.45 and I was there until 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I never got around to moving. Right. So I lived there until I closed the business. Right. People would forget to pick up their dogs and I would have to take them upstairs to my oh apartment. My <laughs> like... But it sounds like such a charming life. I mean, it sounds really like kind of this wonderful New York experience, which it was. I would say it was 95% that, which is, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think anything could be 100%. 
I mean, there are parts about it that I absolutely love. Like, I love being able to get up to the gym, go to the gym in the morning, work out, stay in my workout clothes all day long because I'm with dogs all day long. Yeah. You know, be with dogs all day long, be in my office there. There were parts of it that were really fabulous, and there were other parts just, you know, just kind of sad. Right. But mostly good. And to be around dogs all day is a fantasy for many of us. It's not the fantasy you think it is. I know. <laughs> and why is that? Because dogs don't always get along. I think it's probably like running like a children's daycare. Mm-hmm. We used to say we feel bad for some of our poor little rich dogs because I have everything, but not the emotional aspect. Exactly. One of the things about the business that I thought was a credit to myself and to Mary, who ran it part-time with me, was that we had almost the entire same staff from the day we opened until the day we closed. It's funny because after we closed, so many people called me, offering me crazy money to open another one. And I was like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, no. Nope. Having a life is more important to me than money. Yeah. Yes, and you have to have a life. You really you do. To, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even today, I still struggle with that. Being so busy to turn people down and say no. It's so hard to say no. Because it's not really the person I'm saying no to. I feel like I'm saying no to the dog. Exactly. And it's hard for me to say no to a dog. It's not hard for me to say no to a person who doesn't have a dog. So where did you grow up, Stacy? I grew up everywhere. I grew up overseas. My dad was in the oil business. So every summer, we moved to a different country. Right. So I lived in Brazil. I lived in different parts of Scotland, different parts of Africa, Portugal, all over the place. Wow. And did you grow up with dogs? I grew up with a very cruel father who got dogs and then his punishment would get rid of them before I'd get home from school often. So Ouch. we had a lot of dogs, but not a lot of dogs for very long. Dogs saved my life. If it hadn't been for dogs, I don't think I would have made it. I didn't have any friends, hardly. I was always the new kid at school. Right. Dad being a very cruel person, I was protecting the animals from him. I was always saving dogs, finding dogs in the street, bringing right. them in. Like I was always bringing animals right. in and rescuing them. Wow. I became a vegetarian when I was like between 11 and 12. So, Stacy, let's start with your home life. How many dogs do you have in your home right now? Sadly, I only have one dog right now, but she's like having Ted. And what is her name? Her name is PETA. I rescued her from the ACC, yeah. Animal Care and Control. And what little I know about her is that I think she's a Tibetan Spaniel. So she's short with long blonde hair, which is very distracting for people because that is not her personality. Uh-huh. When I adopted her, she had dog versus dog issues, dog versus human issues, dog versus dog. It's a whole, like, the only thing now that she doesn't like are my two cats. <laughs> and we've made a ton of progress She's on not that. a cat person. She's not a cat person. Uh-huh. I've had her four and a half years yeah. now. When I adopted her, I had another dog, Geo, who is, like, my biggest lesson in life. But... I adopted PETA thinking they would bond because he had bonded with my other dog who passed away. Not so much. They yeah. never got along. And so I didn't want to do the same thing to her. Bring another dog in, have her be unsatisfied. I'm like, yeah, I'll just have one. Not to mention Mary won't let me. You are with dogs many, all day. pretty much all day. With PETA, what is it about her? Like, How can you describe your emotional connection with her? It's interesting because PETA is the first and only dog I've ever had in my entire life that I am not her number one person. It's a fascinating experience. Honestly, she overbonded to my partner, Mary, instantly. Uh-huh. And I'm like, kind of irrelevant. I consider myself her playmate because I play with her. Right. But she's really not that interested in me. It's fascinating. I, and I solely think this is because, not because, I mean, Mary's a great person, but Gio was so focused on me and Gio was so 100% my dog and never bonded with Mary in the same kind of way that I think she just went in there and was like, Mary. I've had pets that I've connected with that have been my soulmates. And then I've had other pets that have possibly connected more with my partner. I'm their handler, but I'm not their person. I do know people that have had that same situation. And it is hard not to take it personally, but there's something you can do about it. Just be there for them. 
100%. I've had a lot of dogs in the last 20 years. I've had 15 dogs in the last 20, wow. 20 personal dogs. Wow. So I almost always adopt older dogs. Yes. Watching PETA, I can really just observe her. She's an interesting dog. She's very moody, very emotional. Is there a particular dog in your life that you've had that really resonated with you more than any other dog? I would say that I've had a few. Tyler, the first dog I got as an adult, because of Tyler, I actually went into working with dogs. I've always volunteered at shelters, but I would say I didn't know that much about dogs, although right. I thought I did. So I got this puppy, and he was only four and a half weeks old. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was too young. But being a responsible person, I did everything to raise him right, and he was an amazing dog. When he was about a year old, I found out that his sister, Cleo, was going to be euthanized. And by now, I was doing volunteering part-time, working as an apprentice for a trainer. Was this in New York? No, this is in Toronto. Okay. So I found out the Cleo, and I was like, no way, no way. No way is Tyler's sister. Uh, they're only a year, year and a half, something like that. And so I called up people who had her. I went in, and she'd bit one of them. I was like, no, I'm just going to take her. So I just went in, and I just said, give her to me. And then I got to my apartment and literally spent the next year and a half doing research on how to fix her aggression. Wow. And I fixed her aggression. She became a therapy dog. Oh, wow. I mean, it took me a few years. Because yeah. it was like, there was no internet then. So it was like a lot of book reading right. and like studying. And so I just really did all this research. And I mean, I also had a degree in violence against women. So I had that kind of like problem solving thinking. Right. And, in a different perspective. Yeah. And they were very, very important. And then Gio, who passed away two and a half years ago, I was looking on Pet Finder, which I consider a drug, and I found Gio, and he was crazy cute. He was like pug something mixed, but he had big prick ears, which means they stick straight up. Right. But he had like a pug face and a funny tail. Went and picked him up. He was someplace in Jersey. And so I was like, you want to go with me? Popped on his leash. He flew into my car and got into my car, and I was like, okay. All right, we're okay. On the way home, I stopped at like one of those big brand stores, big pet supply stores. I don't remember which one it was because I needed to get him a leash and harness because what he was wearing was awful. I was like trying to fit him for the harness and I got the cold stare, this total stiffness uh -huh. and like a chill go up me. So he probably bit me no less than 50 times the first year, but we really worked through it. I would say that before Geo, I was very successful at working with dogs that have aggression. But I would say that I kind of had like a program. I'm very proud of my program. I had for like 15 years. Right. After Geo, totally different program. Way more effective, way more nuanced. And also I think for me, much more compassionate to owner's frustration and being able to be a sounding board for that frustration and hold some of that for them. It's really, really hard to have a dog that you love so much and you do everything for, and also about you. In my business, a lot of times when it comes to aggression, people think they have to be tough in a way that is actually inappropriate and ineffective. You do not get consistent results with fear. That is just a proven fact. You deal with that in the proper and positive and calm way that it should be. By the time I could actually like hold him and kiss him and pet him, right. I would like kiss his head every day and be like, Gio, thank you. The last few years of his life, it was just like, I don't think I've ever loved a dog as much as him. It was pretty devastating when he left. And that's something that, because I do this with my dogs, but I thank them all the time just for being there with me. Mm -hmm. And they really do support me in ways that surprise me. We never know how long they're going to be here. We never know how long we're going to be here. So and you just brought up your business. So it's called Who's Walking Who? Who's Walking Who? Dog Training Behavior. And how long have you had that business for? I've had it in New York for 21 years, uh -huh. but I was a business partner to Who's Walking Who in Toronto before okay. I moved here. 
Wonderful. Very, very different businesses though. Same name, but very different types of business. Right. And it's funny because when I came to New York, I thought I would have a similar type business, but that business can't succeed here. And so when I first moved here, I was like, what? Trying to like figure it out. Different people want different things for their dogs. Mm -hmm. Like in Toronto, did competitive obedience, taught competitive agility and fly ball and dog sports. And I traveled with my dogs who were on the super dog teams. And oh, do cool. like a hundred tricks. Yeah. yeah. People in New York don't want that. They want you to come and do it for them. So I was doing so many privates and I had so many clients. And even though I was training apprentices and having all the staff, I still couldn't keep up with it because every time I would meet with somebody, it was like a groundhog lesson. Like they hadn't done their homework, which is why I developed the fast tracking program. We can work with the dog in between working with the owner. So the owner only has to practice, not teach. It was like, aha, actually works really, really well. New Yorkers are characteristically super busy. They don't have the time. And yeah, they want somebody to do it for them. So you have a staff, a team of trained trainers. Correct. All women. Yes. Which I love. Thank you. I think that's amazing. And it's interesting because in the shelter world also, I find that most of the people working in rescue are women. There's just something, there's a connection there. Moving on to another subject, you worked with Mark Jacobs' dog, Neville. And you were even acknowledged in his book, Neville Jacobs, I'm Mark's Dog. Mm. For those who don't know, Mark Jacobs is a very, very famous and incredibly prolific fashion designer. So what was that like working with Neville, with Mark? What was Neville like? So I still see him. I'm actually seeing Neville again Thursday. Oh, I love it. We don't really work anymore. I just kind of run through his commands and we do have like a whole love fest and play. And I just love him because I've known him. I've known him since the day Mark brought him home. What kind of dog is Neville? He's a bull terrier. Okay. What's amazing about him is that he is the perfect example of a bull terrier. He is like sweet as can be. He's what we call like a bomb-proof dog. Nothing bothers him. Like dogs go after him, he's like, whatever. Mark is a lovely man, a very generous man. And what was great is that even though he didn't agree with me in the beginning of the way that I wanted to work with Neville, right. he's had other bull terriers. He had had a trainer for his other two dogs and they use a very different style of training that I use. And he was worried that I was too soft. He didn't say those words, but it was very much implied. I'm not a soft date. I am, and I'm not. Anyway, fast forward, like Neville is impeccable. When Neville had his own book signing. <laughs> Neville had his book signing. Right. We had his paw. We like put ink on it. Oh, genius. Fantastic. I love it. People lined up for it. I was like, amazing. Wow. People were coming up and hugging him from all over the place. And he was like, okay, okay. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's Mark's, wonderful. Mark's a great dad. Neville's needs are more than met. Mark loves him so much. And it's just, it's so what are the biggest ways you think dogs both comfort and challenge us? I think that they comfort us by giving us a level of intimacy that's unconditional if we allow them. It's so intimate and just deep. Yes. And I think the hardest thing is you need to put their needs first. It challenges your selfishness. What are you willing to give up to meet your dog's needs? You're responsible for them. Yeah. Period. Well, that's the thing. Like my dogs, no matter what time I go to bed at night, they are up between 5 and 5.20. It's like clockwork. I have to get up. I've got to put my pants on. I've got to put shoes on or whatever. All times of year, snow. I love that. Mm -hmm. As much as sometimes I don't love it, I love it. It's your responsibility, but it just feels good. I'll start laughing at myself sometimes because I'm trying to walk my three-legged chihuahua in a snowstorm and we're both looking at each other like, what? But... We do it. It just adds a wonderful dimension to, for me, living in New York City, having a dog. For me, before I had a dog, 
I would literally just go stand by a dog park and just watch these dogs playing. And again, it brought me so much joy. When I'm walking down the street and I see somebody walking their dog coming towards me, there's something in my chemistry that changes. You said you consider yourself not only a dog trainer, but a dog activist. I guess I would consider myself one in the sense that I work with shelter dogs. I'd like to advocate on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And again, everyone has their own way of living in the world, communicating to others. How might the everyday person express their dog activism in their world? I think there's a lot of ways that you can. I mean, I am on the board of a rescue organization, Sada Project, and we're always looking for volunteers. And that could be anything from like helping us post social media to taking silly Instagram photos to filling a water bowl at events. Like, I mean, there's a, a slew of things that you can volunteer. I mean, I'm sure thousands of organizations, not just mine. I think that going to the local shelter and walking dogs, doing anything like that, and you are so lucky and so many of us are always we're looking trying to find like what's our vocation why are we here and you're very lucky to have found that again so early in life i love what i do i was desperate to find something that i could be like really really good at so clammed on to the animals like i just was like this is it you know rescue yeah. me yeah and they rescued me the payback is like, I'm now rescuing them. Yes. And they're still rescuing me though. Like we're still rescuing each other constantly. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Stacy. how do we find who's walking who online? How do we find your organization? Well, you can find me a couple of ways. You can go onto our website, which is whoswalkingwhodogtraining.com. And you can send us an email from there. We have classes and you can see all, all of our different services. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Stacy Aldridge Dogs. S-T-A-C-Y-A-L-L-D-R-E-D-G-E-D-O-G-S. It's long, but once you enter it once, you never have to enter it again. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great. Stacy's interview was quite interesting to me because not only does she have her own dogs who are all quite unique, but she also has worked with countless dogs and their guardians as her profession as a dog trainer. Unlike other guests, she brings with her a profound understanding of how people interact with their dogs and the unique psychology of dogs themselves. Her own history as a dog guardian has informed her work in many ways, and yet she is also able to provide a very objective viewpoint that ultimately helps us to be better dog parents. I've learned so much from working with Stacy personally, and she has showed me both here today as well as through her work that having a dog is really a true commitment and a privilege not to be taken lightly. Stacy has seen a lot of things in her days as a trainer, and she's able to bring that valuable information to the public, helping us all to see how we can better treat and think of dogs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio and it's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review or rating. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. You can also check out the Tinyton Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.